Hello and welcome to Healthcare on the Rocks, Employee Benefits with a Twist. I'm Mike Pattengale, Senior Account Executive for Channel Sales. And I'm Jennifer Jones, Population Health Practice Leader at Springbuck. In this podcast, we'll talk with employers, benefit advisors, technology innovators, and other experts in wellness, human resources, and healthcare. Today's guest has a passion for helping organizations create a healthier, more engaged workforce by embracing a holistic approach to wellness. She believes it's important to provide opportunities to help people thrive not only in their physical health, but also in other areas of life, such as mental health and financial well-being. Courtney Schroeder has 13 years of experience in the corporate wellness industry. Her roles have ranged from strategic account executive at Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield to senior well-being and engagement consultor at Gallagher. She recently transitioned into a new role at Wellright as a well-being strategy consultant. In this role, Courtney will help potential clients tailor their well-being strategy to their specific needs and empower them through their wellness journey. That sounds perfect for a person who is often told that her energy around promoting health and well-being is contagious. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very exciting. It's strange to hear yourself talked about while you're you're engaging in the conversation. The new role sounds super exciting. So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, What has you most excited about it? Yeah, it's very exciting. I reconnected with some coworkers I used to work with in the past. Uh, We got to co-create the role together and it is ever evolving. Um, I would say, think of it as all things related to client strategy, helping them establish KPIs, tying back to their core business objectives, what is really important to them to make sure they're hitting their goals, their targets, all things under that umbrella of well-being. So that could be mitigating healthcare spend, that could be attracting and retaining talent, which we know is so important. Yeah, speaking of that, um, we've all heard about the great resignation that's been taking place over the past year or so. With so many people searching for and taking new roles or moving into a new organization, what role do wellness programs play in attracting and retaining talent? A huge part. It's that shift back to focusing on culture um, and making sure that that is front and center. I know when I would interview account managers, not even two years ago, one of the first questions they always asked was, how's the culture? You know, not what is my bonus structure? What does that look like? The environment is so different right now. And clients that really focus on that, you go up to their website, you can tell. You can just tell right away it's really important to them. They're promoting all their perks, their values. You can tell the complete difference when a client isn't focusing on that. And people see it and they know and standards are higher. COVID has made expectations different. People want flexibility. If you're not open to that, you'll just, you won't keep that talent or attract it. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point to make. And, you know, I think in a similar vein to as Mike mentioned, as far as with the great resignation, We've really seen over the past year and a half employers investing more in their employees and and that well-being and the culture. And I'm interested, Courtney, if you have or if you've seen as far as what are new pieces that people are investing in or new components to wellness programming that you find most interesting or exciting? That is a great question. Uh, I used to joke, you know, is it a carrot? Is it a stick? Is it just an orange stick? It would get some laughs, but I can't believe I ever said that. It's so not the way a program should be positioned. Choice has become a really big factor in the wellness program. So 
I, for example, may not use an HSA or, or have any interest in that, so I won't engage in the program. If you have choice in what the incentives might be, and especially the activities that you're participating in, it becomes a way to meet people in their own journey along that path. And I think goes a really long way to, again, show that culture, highlight the things that are important at that organization. Yeah, and I think especially when we take into account there's what usually four generations that are working at most employers now, knowing that, you know, baby boomers who are still working, what they look for, want in a wellness programming program could be substantially different, most likely is, than, you know, someone from Generation X. So that's, I think, a great point to make. Yeah, totally agree. The way in which we engage with the programs, I think the modalities need to be different. You need to be considering text messaging or push notifications or reminders, what that looks like especially when it comes to mental health. There's, you know, not only that challenge of removing the stigma, but it's also about, you know, I want to just text back and forth with, with my coach or my clinician. I don't want to be on another Zoom call after, you know, the eight to five every day. So that's a great point. Yep, yep. And that, you know, I think because you mentioned uh, the proliferation of apps and, and smart devices, those types of things, um, I'm going to ask you, um, your website says that you offer over 300 pre-built wellness challenges, and more than 400 unique wellness activities to choose from. How on earth do you guide people on selecting the best <laughs> program for themselves? That's a great question. That really is. But that's, I think when it comes back to having that choice, certainly we've got the core program that we recommend. Uh, we hold our client's hand. We are certainly not saying, hey, pick anything that sticks. We want to know what is most important to them. What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, how much of a part does financial well-being play? How many other point solutions? Let's talk about point solutions and they're popping up everywhere. And it's so hard. I know when I was on the consulting side, it's so hard to stay up to date, to vet them out. As soon as you do a market scan, things are already different. Knowing that we need to integrate with clients in that way and other partners that they work with, really helps guide a lot of that strategy and narrows down those choices. But nice to know you walk before you run. Transitioning programs are really challenging. So say you're coming from another vendor, hard to put a square peg in a round hole. That flexibility allows us to make it a really smooth transition for the client. Yeah, that's great. What role would you say data analytics play in the program selection? First and foremost, it's super important. I think about our mutual clients, how beneficial it is for them to have that full picture um, to establish KPIs and kind of hold themselves accountable to that. Are we really tracking in the right direction? I think the beauty of our program too is that people can pivot and change the program any given time based on what we see in the data. I know that that's not always the case out there. And establishing those and making sure you're really aligned with, again, how that fits back into the overall business objectives, what conditions are bubbling up to the top. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is jumping out at clients. What do you see they have the most interest in when it comes to data science? Yeah, I'll defer to Jen on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, am a, I am but a salesman. Uh, Jen is the population <laughs> health practice leader. Yeah, and Jennifer we, Jones, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, right, right. There you go. Um, it, we really try to distill it down into what we call our moments in time. Um, so when you think about using and, and using your data, empowering that to make decisions, there are really three key moments in time that you know distill down to plan design, program selection, and then really program measurement. 
Um, and, you know, these can happen throughout the year, you know, plan design is usually once a year, but the, the others, you know, it's, it's a matter of measuring this and tracking this over time. Um, and we actually have a recently published ebook on empowering your moments of time. Feel free to download that from our website as well. But again, I think it's really key to know that having data is so important to measuring the programs you have, knowing how to adjust if you need to, know what outcomes you need. You mentioned KPIs. I think establishing those at the beginning of any program is so important that because if you don't know how to determine how effective the program is, you'll never be successful with it. Um, and the other key piece that we always speak about is it's not always about cost. You know, it has to be about key population health metrics as well and then overall satisfaction uh, with the programs too. Right. That translates into engagement surveys in general, um, attrition rates. The view of data has become so broad just based on the climate right now that it's something, you know, we always need to be thinking about. Speaking of ebook, I was looking at your social determinants of health that came out the other day. That's a topic we're talking a lot about. So it's exciting to see that conversation continue to evolve. Yeah, that one is definitely, I think, every conversation we have now with clients and prospects, some component of SDOH. Um, and within you know, our approach to that, it's really distilling that down to how an employer can truly impact or have impact with their employees. So we take a little bit of a different angle rather than the, the whole community-wide approach. But um, I'd say the most often questions that we're getting more recently are really around uh, food security and food mm -hmm. access are a big one, as well as um, more so around income and, and, and economic stability, those key components too. But are you all doing anything specific with SDOH at, with any of those facets, any of the main levers that we have? We're having a lot of conversations about that. I, and I think the topic can feel sort of um, overwhelming for clients at times. Like, mm -hmm. how could I really tackle that? And sometimes it just comes down to looking by location and starting small and just focusing on where the zip codes, where your people are, and, and back into that and program accordingly, uh, knowing that we can separate the program based on who's logging in and serve that information up is a good, simple way to start. Yeah, absolutely agree. And gaps in care, um, you know, how adherent are they to their care measurement guidelines, even just having a PCP or access to primary care are two really big ones as well. We recently had a webinar with Dr. Ray Fabius as well, and he always talks about medical homelessness as, as you know, a, a key component that drives a lot of this as well, as far as just not having a medical home, which is also really important for driving, you know, outcomes and impact, just access to the healthcare system in general. Yeah, I will say it's cool to see that, you know, two years ago, I don't think I ever really heard people talking about SDOH on a consistent uh, basis. And now, to Jen's point earlier, uh, I think it comes up in every conversation. Mm -hmm. So just hearing um, that, you know, people looking at data a lot more and then understanding, hey, since we have all of this data, how can we not only use it? from a benefit standpoint, but how can we actually use this to drive change and really impact positively those employees and, and members that we have on our plan, uh, which has just been really awesome to see over the last year, year and a half or so. Yeah. And back to, you know, what are, what am I seeing employers offer new or different than in the past? We have a huge focus on DEI right now, knowing that all clients are asking for that, whether it's 
comes down to different languages or just how to educate people, how to build that into their program, we are hearing a ton of that. Yeah, another really big topic. Yeah, taking a, a slightly different approach, uh, word on the street is that you're a big CrossFit fan. <laughs> uh, what would you say is your go-to app or workout these days? So my husband and I, through COVID, have built out our garage gym in Nashville. It's sort of like open on both sides. It's not a carport, but it's open. And I just recently talked him into getting barbells, which, which he was kind of hesitant on. Just It's not the best ideal setup, but it works. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the best CrossFitter either. We just work out more now at home. We're way more consistent. We used to have to do, we do a morning meditation. We used to do a 5 a.m. CrossFit workout. And like those days are just over. <laughs> Not happening. Not happening. But I do have to laugh. He talked me into, he was so impatient for a rower that we got an assault bike instead. Oh, that is which like if three anyone times knows, worse. It's like a torture device, right? The devil's tricycle. Not a Peloton like normal people during COVID. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's really terrible. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. The assault bike. That is worse. I, I feel like y'all will have to compare uh, basement gyms or garage gyms. Garage gyms, definitely. Yeah. I um, I crossfitted for about 10 years. Um, finally, at the start of COVID, like I had a bunch of garage stuff too, and I've, I've built that out slowly, but have moved on to more just strength training. I just can't. My body says no more. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in more of a bulking season for the last like, 18 months. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, Courtney, before we go, we always ask our guests, what's the biggest twist you've seen in employee benefits throughout your career? We kind of touched on that earlier. I would say the transition from the old days of outcome-based, hard-nosed, uh, do this or you don't get anything or you pay even like a disincentive. I felt like that was a big trend for a while there. And when I was a consultant, I was trying to help a lot of clients that are asking, how do I undo this to that shift of true talent management, culture building. And what I love about like why I'm so passionate about the holistic approach. Um, I would say that is the shift for sure. That's a really good point, Courtney, as far as, and, and you mentioned that again before, as far as it's, it's not this, incentive or disincentive. It's more about giving options and this true well-being holistic type of program. So I think many more people, especially given everything that's happened over the past two years, are just more socially aware, essentially, that um, not everything is just black and white anymore. There's a whole other component to developing wellness and well-being programs. Absolutely. And that is it for this episode of Healthcare on the Rocks, Employee Benefits with a Twist. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us or to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. That really does help other people find the show and lets us know what you like. And remember to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. To find previous episodes, visit our new website at springbuck.com slash podcast. And thank you so much, Courtney, for joining. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. It was fun. Thank you. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.